Welcome to the Returning Warrior podcast with me, your host, Adam Gornell. This podcast is about the human story, and there is no greater story than the hero's journey. Each of us face our own challenges, trials, and tests in life, and it takes the courage of a warrior to overcome those challenges. I shall be interviewing some of the most inspirational people I know. Together, we will retell their hero's journey and discover how they did it, what they learned, and how you can use what they discovered. Welcome to the Returning Warrior Podcast. I am very excited about my next guest. He is a former Royal Marine Commando, Invictus Game athlete, author, motivational speaker, and more recently is is actively engaged in coaching and mentoring. After triggering an improvised explosive device during a routine foot patrol in 2007, he suffered serious injuries resulting in a triple amputation. He was the UK's first triple amputee to survive the Afghan conflict. He was given the opportunity to continue working with the Royal Marines by becoming a member of the Royal Marines charity organisation, the RMA. After 10 years of dedicated service, he was awarded the MBE for services to the Royal Marines and veterans. He has a documentary about his life entitled No Limits, has agreed to turn this into a Hollywood movie. He has written the book Man Down with another one on the way. He is a jiu-jitsu blue belt and a thoroughly good chap. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a privilege and an honour to introduce to you Mark Omrod MBE. Hi Mark. It's, it's always a bit weird Hello, when, mate, I introduce, you are. when I introduce guests after having just done like, you know, 10 minutes of like an intro and now I feel like <laughs> we're live and it's real. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, for those of you that don't know Mark, you, you're in for a bit of a treat uh, in this, this particular episode. Mark, you and I, we actually met, um, I want to say probably 2006 in Plymouth, 539 Assault Squadron. I think it was around there, wasn't it? No, mate, it was Before? 2004. Christ. 2004 was 539. That's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 amazing. So we've known each other for some time. We've both had our little adventures. Um, yes. <laughs> we've been up to a little, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so today, I want to sort of tease out of, uh, out of you, Mark, a epic story and an amazing uh shall we say, adventure that you've been on. Um, And the opening question, as it always is with my guests, is what was your biggest, your biggest call to adventure? Christ. Um, There's a lot of answers to this question, but I think the, the biggest one for me was when I was injured, did I, did I want to, go through the the pain and the emotional roller coaster of learning to walk again to reclaim my life and to become independent yeah or did i want to just take the easy route and live the rest of my life in a wheelchair so that was so for those of you that are not aware and i'm pretty sure there's not that many left these days but you know mark you um christmas eve 2007 you're out on patrol with the lads in Afghan and um, mm-hmm. you took that faithful knee and uh, and yeah, you, you made contact with that IED and uh, just to, to sort of tell us what happened there in that, that day. Yeah, so I was, um, 
three months into a six-month tour of Afghanistan, like you said, uh, second in command of a section of eight men, just about to finish up uh, a routine foot patrol on Christmas Eve. And as we were going farm to give cover for another section that we were out with so they could safely make their way back into the, the forward operating base that we were working out of, uh, I got my half of the section in a fire positions. They had their interlock and arcs of fire. They were all happy. You know, I, I was happy with, with where we were and, you know, that we were protected and defensive and, you know, how it is. And then I was just walking over towards the fire position that I selected for myself. And as I went to get onto my stomach, I put my right knee on the floor and I knelt on and detonated an improvised explosive device. So, yeah, that... um instantly tore off both of my legs um, above the knee and my right arm eventually above the elbow. What ensued was a very chaotic, adrenaline-fueled, but ultimately, on, on the lad's part, a super professional evacuation, which resulted in me dying temporarily as the Chinook helicopter landed to evacuate me, being classed by the medics on the back as dead and put in a corner and left to my own devices while another injured guy was worked on. Only then, about 30 seconds later, for one of the medics to discover that I was actually still alive and breathing, to then call other medics to, to get to work on me, where they ultimately performed a procedure which... In fact, I'm going to I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit because it's so phenomenal. Um, basically, I got on the back of this Chinook and they did all their normal standard operating procedures to check for signs of life and I had none of them. So they put me in a corner and they said, this guy's dead. We need to work on this other guy who's got shrapnel in his back and shrapnel in his arm. One of these medics walked past me to get some equipment to go back and work on the other guy and he saw my eye flutter which to them meant that my heart was still beating and blood was still pumping around my body, even though they couldn't sense a heartbeat. So he called some medics to come over and work on me. And what they want to do normally is get intravenous lines and fluids into you. But all of my veins had collapsed because I'd lost so much blood. Now, three days prior to this, whoever is in charge of making the decisions in the, the army medical field had given the green light for this new procedure to be used, where if you can't get intravenous lines into someone's veins, you will drill directly into their tibia or their fibia. Now, this had never been done on a casualty in the field before, and it was the first time they were going to attempt it. The problem being, I didn't have any tibias or fibias because they'd just been ripped off by an IED. So not only were they having to try this new technique that they'd never done before, they now had the problem of not being able to do it the way they'd been taught. So they had to, they very quickly and courageously made a decision that they were going to drill into my hip bone and they had no idea if it would work. The first attempt failed. Uh, the skin was was too loose that they, they had pulled around me to get some line in. And the second time they pulled it taut, they drilled in the line bit and the fluids got into my, I guess my bones or my, my marrow or whatever it is that yeah. they were attempting and literally within like three minutes, I was awake and, and responsive again um, and answering their questions. So yeah, they um they they saved me. 
got me back to a field hospital in Camp Bastion where there was some more advanced equipment. And then the surgeons that were working that day had a look at my legs and, and my arm and, you know, all the cuts and bruises that I had. And they decided that the only way they were going to be able to save my life was to, as cleanly as they possibly could, amputate both my legs above the knee uh, and my right arm above the elbow. And then sent me home Christmas morning. Boom. Wow. Yeah, that, that was it. That's... um. So there we go. I mean, for, for everyone, just to sort of clarify, you know, the, the framework of this podcast is just to highlight, um, highlight amazing adventures, calls to adventure. And I call it calls to adventure because in the hero's journey, one of the first things that, that you know, one, when undertaking the hero's journey is the call to adventure. And that can come in a myriad of forms, right? A myriad of forms, whether it's getting fired, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a death of a loved one. But this one in particular has an incredible resonance for me because it's you know you you've been the fact that you are you know in the military you know people call us heroes and whatnot um you know we, we go on multiple heroes journeys i feel <laughs> throughout our careers you yeah. know one after mm -hmm. the other um from, from one patrol to another probably and um but in this particular case you know it's quickly after a heroes uh, sorry a call to adventure typically what comes is a decision point, a decision point to whether or not you're going to choose that adventure. So say for example, a, a basic one would be, you know, okay, you've lost your job. What are you going to do? You're going to sit, sit around and mope and like go, well, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, or you're going to pick yourself up and go for it. But in your case, you know, your first immediate sort of thing that happens to you is you choose to stay alive. I mean, obviously at that level there, how you described it, whether that's a conscious or an unconscious thing, I don't know. But I, but knowing you as I do, I feel like that spark that's in you inherently, anyway, as a person, that flutter of that eyelid. You know, I just feel that was that is a choice point that you made there. And I'm you know as as we'll go through the story, I'm sure we'll unravel more choice points that you made. But you chose right there to go boom. I'm I'm this is I'm choosing life essentially. What well, you know the biggest adventure of all. Wow. Okay. So stabilized. And now in a, in a completely new world, essentially. Um, and when you come round, you, you know, are you, where, where are you when you, when you come round for, you know, conscious awareness of where you are? So I arrived back in the UK Christmas day, early hours of the morning in Selly Oak Hospital in Birmingham. I was in a drug induced coma for three days. I woke up very briefly on the 28th of December. And then I was, uh, my medication was reduced. I was brought out of the coma and probably the first day that I was really awake and semi with it because of the medication I was on was like the 29th. So I spent a week in intensive care, a uh, bit of a crazy week, mass hallucinations because of the, the drugs and the pain relief. And then after that week, I was moved up to what was called the bones and plastics ward which was where I was to start the long road to recovery. And essentially, I guess, where the core to adventure comes in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So from there, typically what happens is we find we receive help, special help from a mentor or a guide. You know, it's like the old uh, Gandalf, you know, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> he shows up, knocks on the door and says, here's your new 
you know, bit of kit is your new equipment is your new knowledge is your new whatever. So when did that appear for you? Who, who was that, that mental, that support and that special sort of insight and knowledge and, or piece of equipment or whatever it may be? Do you know, what? I think because of the, the complexity of my situation, I had numerous mentors in those early stages. So, you know, I had a couple of physios and, and doctors that were, that were really on side who were motivating me and, and helping me. And then I had a bit of a, an issue where I think three and a half weeks after I was injured, uh, the, the UK's amputation specialist told me that I was done and that I, I'd never be able to walk again because of the extent of my injuries. He told me that he had never met anybody in 33 years who was missing one leg above the knee that could use prosthetics full time because it was too painful. They were awkward. They were heavy. They took too much energy. And uh, yeah. So you received kind of really knocked me back. Opposition and, uh, essentially there then. Straight out the gate. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, straight out the gate, there was that opposition. But then about a week after that, I had a visit from a former army soldier who was a bilateral above knee amputee who came to visit me in hospital and, and walked in on prosthetics and told me what was possible. Nice. I then went and grabbed a laptop, which back in the day, um, when you used to get online with a dongle, I remember it because I had to go out and get this, this USB device to get online. But then I started doing research into what was going to be my new life. And that was when I came across a guy in America called Cameron Clapp. Now in 2002, Cameron had been hit by a train and it had taken off both his legs above the knee and his right arm almost through his shoulder. And all these things that people were telling me I wasn't going to be able to do, I was watching this guy do on YouTube, through his website, through his social media. And so he became, in the in the first instance, my unofficial mentor because I would just watch him and be like, right, well, this guy can do it. I've got the same kit he's got. I've got a world-class team around me. Surely I can do this too. Yeah. Now, eventually, after struggling my way through as best I could without being able to ask this guy the questions I needed to ask, I eventually reached out and I said to him, this is who I am. This is what's happened. I think what you're doing is phenomenal. I'd really like to be able to do that too. Can you help me? Now, the short version of the story is he replied to me. He introduced me to all of his team, prosthetists, trainers, the people that program his legs, that make the prosthetic sockets, all of these guys. They started mentoring me remotely to start with. And then eventually I got on a plane, flew out to America to meet these guys. And they mentored me in person on, on a three-week intensive boot camp where they literally whipped my ass <laughs> nonstop for three weeks, teaching me everything. And this was the beauty of it. Everything this guy Cameron had learned and his team had learned in six years through successes and failures and trial and error, we condensed down into three weeks. Do you know what I mean? So I, I managed to get six years of knowledge and they just, I had this team around me that was so phenomenal. Epic. That I, I could get, I got close to the level that he was at in a massively reduced amount of time. Yeah. You know, so they, they became my mentors. 
that's amazing. And and it's at this point in the hero's journey, Luke Skywalker gets given his lightsaber, right? Okay. I guess you get given your prosthetics, right? Is it, well, our, at that stage, is it? Or? So I already had the prosthetics, yeah. But the, the difference it. that makes the difference, <laughs> yeah. not just mastering it, but using them to the best of their ability. So the, the way I try and explain it to people, it's like if you gave me a Ferrari with square wheels on it, I'm not going to get the most out of that Ferrari. Nice. But when you put some round wheels on it, I am. And what I had at the point of going to America, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, it's just yeah. it was people doing the best they could with the best they knew. Right. I had square wheels on my Ferrari. I had these 90,000 pound prosthetics that didn't have great sockets on them didn't have the right feet on them. You know, these get plugged into a laptop and connect to the software and they'll get programmed, you know, and you can, you can, there's a whole bunch of different settings you can tinker with that will customize the experience for individuals. And mine were just textbooked, you know, and they weren't, they weren't tailored. So we, we tailored them. We trained, we, we tested, we adjusted, we made adjustments to you know daily sometimes hourly to the way i was walking in different environments until they were dialed in and they worked for me so i had the lightsaber it just wasn't optimized at the time so those guys helped me to do that and that for me was a difference that made the difference that three weeks early on in my journey changed my life forever wow so those incremental changes are so important um mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I know that, um, you know, we'll come to this later on, but, you know, that's that's a big philosophy of yours, isn't it? Those incremental daily changes that lead to a, a great result down the line. Um, so that's a great, Absolutely. great advice there. So, okay, so now, you know, you, you've, you've gone through this period now and, and um, you're, you're looking at essentially stepping into the unknown. And by unknown, I mean, you know, what's next in your life? You know, what are the challenges and the trials that you're going to face en route to maybe you had in mind a particular challenge, one big challenge. What was that one thing that you were potentially aiming at to do? And what were the trials leading up to that big thing? It's really funny like you know, when you're disabled, I don't know if everyone has this experience. Um, I don't know if it's whether you're born disabled is the same as when you become disabled later in life, but everyone seems to come up to you and ask you when you're gonna compete in the Paralympics. And and I was like, well, I don't want to compete in the Paralympics. That's not my goal. My goal in the early days was to become independent of a wheelchair. It was to leave my wheelchair yeah. behind, to live life as a full-time prosthetic user, and to never need, you know, to need the bare minimum when it comes to adaptive equipment. Nothing in my car, nothing in my house, nothing I have to take on a holiday with me. The very bare minimum. My prosthetics are pretty much all I wanted to use to live my life. Cause I was 24 years old when yeah. I was injured and I had a lot of life left in me. Now the challenge is what? I was to say that's, that, that, that would be identified as the dragon. Then that's what I would call the dragon in the cave is that challenge, right? To be as independent as you can. Right. Now what made it worse is that, and again, I, I never say this from a place of disrespect. I just tell it, tell it as it is the people back here, cause I was still serving in the military wouldn't let me go over to America. They didn't want me to go over there. They didn't want me to try this. They, you know, their opinion was, this is what you've got. This is what we provide. This is what you use. And it, and it was 
phenomenal. Mm. It's just that what was on offer in, in America was very specialized and tailored to my situation as a triple amputee, particularly bilateral above the knee leg amputee. So I, I had to go AWOL. You know, I, I, I wrestled around with my conscience for weeks, staying up till two, three in the morning, just, just angry and, and going backwards and forwards. Like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Because I was very much, you know, I'm still serving. I'm a, I'm a young Marine. I'm yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, full, sir. Yeah. But in the end, I thought, you know what? In 20 years time, am I going to regret having not taken this opportunity that's on offer to me here? Or do I just do exactly what I'm told? And play the game now I, i'm all up for playing the game but this was a big decision so in the end i had to go against what they told me and, and i went awol and the, the big thing for me was if i didn't come back independent of a wheelchair having failed then i'm done mm-hmm. do you know what i mean i had i had to come back and go look i told you this was going to work for me now, this is not only going to work for me. Think of how many other people now that are unfortunately in my situation who can benefit from this. Wow. So, yeah, I snuck off. I went AWOL, went over there, hammered it, came back. And, you know, the 9th of June 2009 was the day I got on a plane. And that was the last time I ever used a wheelchair. I don't own a wheelchair. I don't own any any wheelchairs. They, I ditched them. I gave them to the hospital. They're gone. So I kind of cut off my exit routes, really. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I you got rid of that. Yeah, I took the island by burning the boats. And um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it worked. I came back, was independent of a wheelchair and uh, carried on my life from there. I mean, it's epic. I mean, it's, it's a, it, is, it is a heroic uh, example of a journey again, because it's, Christ, when society... When, when we're at, when, obviously we're all we're all to a certain degree susceptible and programmed by society by our, our environment right um i know in, in in the marines we've got a very very tight culture you know very tight sort of understanding of the values and and that culture forms around those values um to be in one of those systems and for you to be able to have the insight and the knowing the deep deep knowing in yourself that there was something else out there and and that you knew you could you just had to give it a go, you know, mm-hmm. and, and resist the, 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 the system saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, stay in your box, behave. So I just want to highlight the courage it takes, for, first and foremost, to sort of follow that and just go, you know what, I'm, I'm risking everything for this and I'm going to do it. Um, but, you know, epic thing to sort of have the insight, the foresight as well, to recognize that if you went there and succeeded, what you're going to come back with, the gold that you're going to come back with, not just for yourself, but for other, mm-hmm. the other lads and lasses that are going to experience this in the UK. I think that, that in particular is, is, is epic. And uh, so, you know, fair play to you for that. Wow. What was, what was a couple of the, 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 the trials and the challenges of actually, you know, not needing a bloody wheelchair? I mean, Talk to me some of the, some of the things that I ha- I've interviewed. Um, Karen Dark, she was paralysed from the chest down. She's a gold medal Paralympian. She was paralysed from the chest down. She fell off a mountain, age 21. And um, one of the curious things that she mentioned is learning her balance point because she has to have a wheelchair. She ha- you know she she does the handbike, um, which you do as well. 
Um, and, um, you know, I remember her telling me about some of the uh, her trials of having to learn how to sort of tip, get the tipping point of a, of a wheelchair and doing all these different tests and whatnot. But what were some of the things that you were getting up to the, to, to sort of make your, you know, mission a reality? What were some of the tasks? So every day is rehab from three even weeks, still right? now. Oh, three during the three weeks, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the three weeks thing. Yeah. What were, what were some of the things that you're doing there with these? Just so normally when I, when I was going through rehab before, yeah. if I was if I woke up in the morning, you know, you got to imagine I'm in this military rehabilitation unit, right, surrounded by patients and clinicians, all from the military. So if I got up in the morning. And I was a bit sore, a bit tired, back was aching. I could jump in a wheelchair, right? And someone would push me around or I'd have an electric wheelchair, go zooming around, you know, get about my day and maybe take a bit of time off. But when I went to America, because I couldn't take a wheelchair with me and I wasn't allowed to take any carers either, I had to go on my own solo, that every morning I had to get up and I had to strap my legs on and my arm on. And I'm telling you, some mornings I got up and... You know, it's like when you when you get out from a yomp, you know, you've been in the field, you've got to put your boots on it and your feet are blistered and, and broken and your arches feel like they're going to snap. That was like every day. Every day they were tender and sore and I had to just put my legs back into those sockets, you know, force myself to stand up and then just go about my day in in the first week to 10 days in absolute agony and just ride it out. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fan at all of medication. I ditched that really early on in my journey. So I'd never reach for a paracetamol or pain. I would just be like, no, just got to increase your mindset and just keep wow. going every day. And it was horrible, horrible, Jeez. you yeah. know, three weeks of every day getting up and the complications that come with sores, blisters, cuts, bad back. You know, having to go out every night and, and stretch your hip flexors out, stretch your lower back out. You know, it was just brutal. It was yeah. three weeks of, of brutality, but my mindset was short-term pain for long-term gain. You know, I ride this up for three weeks and I got the rest of my life of independence. And so that was my, every night when I went to bed, that was just what went through my head. Mm. You know, it's only a couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah, no, epic. Wow. Um so what was uh, what would what would be a pinnacle moment that um, can it can capture you achieving your mission? What would that moment be? What does it what does it what did it look like? You knew that you'd done it. No, I know exactly what it was. Oh, nice. I know exactly what it was. It was a day before I flew home from that boot camp, and we had driven from Oklahoma to Texas to a place called Six Flags. It's a roller coaster park. And I'd been riding around on roller coasters all day and walk around this park. The point of the training being that you can integrate into a regular world. The world won't adapt to you. You have to adapt to the world. So we'd figure out how to get on roller coasters, how to, you know, things like standing in, in a line for a long time can be very painful for someone in my situation. So toughening the ends of your legs, you know, navigating people, you know, crazy people running around, not looking where they're going. And it was 109 degrees, right? And I, I sweat so much when I was walking around that my T-shirt kept drying out because I was then reabsorbing the sweat from my T-shirt, I think, into my body to try and hydrate. It was just horrendous. And we got to the end, and I, there was three of us, I believe, the amputees walking around that day with uh, a guy called Randy, who was like the trainer. 
and I was walking back to the car in the car park and I remember it and I, I in my mind I was comparing it to the 30 mile you know when you got riders here when you got a false summit and you're either going to laugh or cry right and you, you're either going to sit down and go I'm done or you're just going to laugh to yourself and just go oh just just keep going and and I was getting I was going through that car park and every step was like someone was stabbing me in the femur bone with a knife and I was the car seemed like there was you got to imagine there's hundreds of cars right and I'm trying to zone in on this car so I can count down the steps to get there to try and motivate myself. And I was in pieces and I was walking every step, which is agony. And I thought, I'm going to sit down. I'm done. But then I compared it to that 30 mile and, and I had a, a moment like that. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going to sit down. I can't be bothered doing this. And something just helped me push on in on the 30 mile, like it did in this car park. And I kept walking, I kept walking and I got to the car. And that was the moment for me. I was like, I've done it. This is, that was, that was my 30 miler of those three weeks. That was the end of the journey of that tough period. And I got in the car and just passed out for the whole trip back to Oklahoma. I was in pieces and I got back to, to Randy's house and I had a bath, you know, I bathed my stumps, you know, did some admin on myself, creamed up where I needed to cream up, got myself ready. Cause I knew I had a long day's travel the next day and just went to bed early that night. And I was like, I've done it. Mm. I've done it. It's not going to be easy when I get home because I don't have these people now holding my hand. I've got to do this solo now yeah. because I don't have any mentors in the UK. And uh, But that was it. I went to bed that night, just like beaten, bruised, broken and battered, but with a smile on my face thinking I've, I've done it. I, I'm independent of a wheelchair. There's no need for me ever to go back in one now. Epic, epic achievement. Wow. What, a, what what an amazing what an amazing story of persistence um, in the face of so much adversity. That's just incredible. Is that uh, I mean is that Jedi School that three week course? Is that something that people can research and look up? And because I feel that could be a an amazing thing for someone to. to well, they don't do three weeks. They do. There's a three or four day one now. They run every year. Okay. Um, what's it's called it called? The, the dream the dream team bilateral life camp. Nice. And basically, so I go out there now when I can as a mentor and people flying from all over the world and it's unbelievable, right? People will come in on day one with bottles and bottles of medication, wheelchairs, carers, maybe two sticks, walking sticks and crutches. And then by the end of just, just three days later, people have half their medication if they're not willing to completely ditch it. They're using one stick or no sticks, whereas before they had two. Their carers are in Starbucks, right? <laughs> Normally they're, they're running around after them all day behind them. They just, they've gone off and left them and they're learning to be independent again. And there's just such massive transformation, like three or four days because there are like 30 or 40 amputees, all with different backgrounds, different stories at different stages of their journey come together. Some mentors, some mentees, and it just creates really rapid transformation because well, I think it's because this is what the case was for me. I saw somebody in my situation who was doing incredible things and knew that if I understood their mindset and, and their physical um, approach, if I just copied it to, as much as I could, then I could achieve the things that they achieved. And when you're in that immersive environment and everyone's empowering each other and giving each other help, information, tips, tricks, advice, it's just so different to being at home alone trying to figure this out 
and just relying on carers and stuff all the time. Oh, I mean, that's just a powerful message just there alone. You know, I mean, that's a bit of a cliche now, isn't it? How many, you know, especially people like myself as a coach, you know, you, to get a coach who's at that next level or that position or doing that thing that you want to achieve, mm-hmm. to have those people in your life, even even as a mentor, maybe a mentor doesn't even know you, but you had that. You had that, you know, person who was doing this thing, achieving what you wanted to achieve. And yeah, you just you just followed that. And to have that is is an, a crucial aspect of of going through these struggles and making it through whatever it may be right um so wow that's that's that's, that's amazing now mm-hmm. you've got you you've you've achieved the gold you've slayed the dragon you've got the gold from the cave and now it's like a a, a return back to um a, a, a place where you started from but obviously you're going to be forever changed so i just want to talk about some of the i mean you've already spoken about some of the gold and the lessons and the insights that you gained through this process but um i just want to sort of talk about how what does mark Comrade look like now you know after this experience you've gone through that you know what what opportunities opened up to you what what um challenges were you thinking of at that point you know because now you've gone from like well holy shit now i've got my independence what am i going to do with it so what were some of the things that you had on your your your, your, your site set on one of the things that I knew was going to be a challenge was employment. Now, you know, I think a lot differently now to the way I did back then. And maybe I wasn't particularly aware of it back then, but I, and I think everyone needs a purpose, Yes. you know, and, and something to drive towards, you know, when you're in the Marines, you know, your purpose is, yeah, it's individual to everyone, but I think ultimately it's the greater good. Do you know what I mean? And doing what you can in any situation to improve the world and help people that need help. And uh, I needed a purpose and I didn't know how to get it. I went through all these these interview uh, questionnaires with people and, and organizations and they were telling me I should scan groceries and Sainsbury's. One of them said I should be a bricklayer. They obviously weren't paying much attention yeah. to my situation. But none of that, like gave me goosebumps or excited me and I was very lucky in that I was discharged on the 1st of July 2010 and in September that year a retired Royal Marines Brigadier called me up who was the chief executive of the Royal Marines Association at the time and offered me a job and I thought this is great because I didn't want to leave the Marines and this is going to give me an opportunity to stay close and so I, I took the job I said what do you need me to do he said, I don't know, but we'll figure it out as we go. Amazing. So they, they created a job for me, which kept me around the Royal Marines. It kept me in that environment I thrived in, and it gave me a purpose because now I was in a position where I was going to be helping other people going through the system after me, but not just wounded, injured, and sick, but their families, older veterans, you know, other branches of the Royal Marines family, the reserves, the band, the cadets, all that kind of stuff. And I had a purpose again. It was to take to a degree, a lot of the lessons that I'd learned in my life and use them to help other people, you know, and now I was working with other people that were struggling as I'd been struggling and doing what I can to, to help them and to get them back on the straight and narrow. So yeah, I spent 10 years doing that. Uh, just recently retired. And now as we talked about off air, I am now, I guess, taking that to another level and, and tre- treading a path similar to yours and, and getting into coaching, you know, and, and taking 
the the experiences I've had, the knowledge I've gained, and packaging that up somehow in a way where I can help other people and and help them be the the best version of themselves. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that that you will achieve that um, with bells on, and it's uh, I guess you know the challenge for us is is, is stepping into um, a new world as you know marketing sales um you know all, all yeah. the things that are needed the back end stuff to run that type of business but i feel um you know one of the the best sort of advices i ever got when i decided to do the the coaching route was authenticity is is our ally you know it's is how close can we stay authentic to our truth to what it is that matters to us and um for me it's always been about service even when i was in the marines you know that aspect of service was huge, and it would mm-hmm. get, and it was a great driver of purpose. And um, and now it is again. You know, it's it's that that ability to give back um, because we've trodden a particular path that um, you know many many people are going down right now, and sometimes feel alone. And uh, to support that is in, is incredible. Um, and I just want to highlight as well that w- what you mentioned there. You know, we hear it so much, don't we, uh, about getting purpose. You know, as long as you've got purpose, you're going to be happy and, and all this. But some some people just don't, don't have that clarity at this time, right? And um, I feel like it's about creating options, isn't it? Sort of looking out what, you know, what's out there. What can you do to create options? And from those options, who knows, right? And then, then a purpose can be formed. Um, so I, I feel like the mindset piece is crucial at that point. Where maybe you don't have a purpose yet, but what can you do to create options? You know, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think you've got to do something that you're passionate about as well. Yeah. Right. So I I didn't really realize it until I sat down and thought about it. But all the things that I've done in my life career wise, right? So being a Royal Marine, I've been a bodyguard, I've been a nightclub doorman. Back then, to me, that was just all kind of like flexing, like, yeah, look how tough I am. But actually, when you look back on it, they were all jobs that involved helping people and serving people and looking after people that potentially couldn't look after themselves. So in the Marines, whether it's wartime or peacetime, you're there as a protector. As a bodyguard, you are absolutely there as a protector to look after people and to make sure that they they remain unharmed. Even as a nightclub doorman, you know, there was, I don't know if there still is, but there used to be a lot of stigma around that about it being, you know, bullies and, and everything like that. But I was there to look after people so that they had a good night. I was always kind, always polite, always professional. And that's what I prided myself on. So it was always about looking after people. And now it's similar, but in a different guise that, you know, that was physically protecting people. And now this is more of a mental thing with coaching. It's it's helping them unlock their mindsets and letting them know what's possible and, and not telling them what to do, but causing them to discover the answers themselves by guiding them. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I do, there's a firm, firm belief in mine that every one of us has a gift inside of us, somehow something to bring to the world. And um, for me, it's my responsibility to sort of peel back the layers and, and get to that nugget and then help them bring it forward into, into, into reality. So yeah, it's, um, it's great to, to have another, another incredible person doing the same thing mate so that's that's epic um and do you know what's exciting mate i'm sorry yeah. sorry no, 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 but, no, in, but I'll, I'll get quite excited about this <laughs> what's, what i think's really exciting this day and age is when people 
you know, when they, when they feel trapped, they're in their job because it pays the bills and they don't think they can do anything else, but they've, they've got this passion. I think particularly our age or older with that, that last generation that don't have the mindset of the, the kids nowadays, you, what I've discovered is that you can literally create a career and earn a living doing anything, like anything. And it was highlighted to me. I was listening to a podcast the other day. And there's an eight-year-old kid on YouTube uh, called Ryan. Ryan's World, I think. My little girl Evie watches him. He's eight years old, right? Last year, he made $35 million for his YouTube channel. And I think what he does is his parents maybe buy him gifts or people send him gifts. And he opens them in the boxes and talks about them. And he loves he loves toys and he talks about it and he's made a career out of it. he's eight years old. Right. Literally, if you love making jam, yeah. right? And you can get in front of a camera, get on YouTube, start a podcast, you will find other people out of seven billion, nearly eight billion people on the planet that love jam that will listen to you and you can monetize it. So you can if you're passionate about anything, you can make money doing anything nowadays because of the tools that we've got and the resources. Absolutely. It's a huge passion of, of what I do in my work is, is get what we call game B or paradigm B um, and in particular game B business models. And essentially, uh, long story short, a lot of what that's about is removing the restrictions of the boxes, of the expectations, of the limitations of like, you know, this is how we've always done it. This is how you got to do it. You know, whether it's creating a decentralized mechanism for a business to work with in, in a you know, meritocratic system. It's like 10 years ago, that's like, yeah, whatever, that's utopia. But now mm-hmm. it's like the belief is, 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 is inherent now, I feel, everywhere. Where we, well, do you know what? If you're passionate about it, you can do it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, our options are limitless really now. And, um, and that's a very, very exciting time to be, to be here. I mean, look at even COVID, right? COVID, a challenge as, as, as challenging as it's been, the opportunities that it's presented to, to you know, all all people, if you're willing to accept it, you know, that's yeah. the call to adventure to society right now. COVID's happened. What are you going to do? Are you going to accept it and, and adapt and pivot? Or are you going to sit there and sulk and, you know, ask for government mm-hmm. money, right? It's a choice yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. All right. So I guess one of my questions now, you know, we've up to present day and uh, we've completed that epic journey. And um, I hope people can relate to the different stages of a hero's journey. Um, as we went through that uh, and some of the mindset sort of, uh, you know, that's required to traverse that journey. Um, now, really, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but I just want to know a little bit about your current place. You said you're getting into coaching and all that, but where are you now? What is it that you're doing? Where can people find out more about you? You know, yeah, just sort of, yeah, elaborate a little bit around that. So I've got a lot going on right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just... I've just recently decided actually um, to to go down the coaching route. Now, we've talked about mentors. I, I am currently searching for a mentor to help me. I've got some calls booked in and some meetings where people are going to help me because I'm not an expert on creating courses, you know, digital stuff. Um, so I'm doing that. I've also got, so my second book's just being finished off now. And I've started writing my third, which is, more of a coaching book I'm, I'm taking everything that i've learned over the years um, whether it's been real life experience or from courses and books i've read and putting that into my own book with my own spin on it uh, this time last year i signed a contract to make 
my life story into a movie. Uh, they got put on hold because of COVID. So hopefully this year we'll pick that up. And this whole journey that you've just been talking about, you know, the hero's journey, this is going to kind of be put into a movie. You know, okay. and we're going to touch these points that we've all just talked about and turn that into a film. And yeah, I, I mean, I got a, I won't bore everyone with all the other bits I've got going on in the background, personal projects, but from a from a tragedy and a, and a bad situation, a lot of opportunities have come and, and a lot of good. And I think that's because I've had the right mindset of, of how to approach it. You know, rather than look at my situation and think what's bad about it, I think, what can I do with it? And I, like many people, am, am unique and I've took what's unique about me and used it to create a career, you know, and some of the fun stuff, you know, like, I'm not going to go too much into it. I'm just, I'm just flexing here, but I was an extra a couple, a couple months back on the Witcher season two, because I've got no legs. And there was a big battle scene where people were getting hacked up with swords. Well, an able-bodied person, they could do it, but it's expensive. You need green screening and all special equipment when they can just draft me in and sit me on a bed and I'll just ride around screaming. So I've, you know, the things that are unique about me are actually my advantage, you know, in certain situations. And that's, that's, that's super powerful. Um, all right. So what can we leave uh, someone in terms of a power habit of yours? What could we, what could we share? Is there anyone out there that's a particular power habit of yours? Wow. I think practically, you know, and this is, you, you'll get this, you know, it's seven Ps. It's prior preparation and planning for me. Like as a disabled man with, with one arm to get the absolute most out of every day and to keep my days flowing and to keep me using time as efficiently as I can and to be happy and, and to be in a good mental state. I, I plan my weeks, I plan my days. So I get up and it just flows. And that to me, you know, there's times when I haven't done that and I'm reactive rather than proactive in the day. And then you get stressed out and angry because things don't go the way you want and you're firefighting all day and you end up spending your time reacting to other people rather than doing the things that you want to do. So this coaching business is perfect. You know, I, I plan it. I plan what I'm going to do, what content I'm going to create, what calls I'm going to make. And that's how I'm starting this business and growing it rather than doing a bit here, a bit there and, you know, running out and doing the school run if it's not planned in. So planning, planning is a huge thing for me. Nice. And do you have a, uh, I don't know, a journal or something that you do at night as taking it off? Or is there what particular hacks do you, do you employ? I have a, a list in my phone and uh, it is quite, quite complicated. No, it's not complicated, but it's quite in depth. But basically what I'll do at the end of a week is take everything I need to do. And this is all in conjunction with the goals that I set myself at the end of the fall of the previous year. And I'll, I'll list it all down and then I chunk it into sections. So if it's phone calls or five, six, seven, eight, nine phone calls are going to one section so I can fire them all out in one go. Emails, meetings, you know, I was recording my audio book before we had this call. And then I'll take all these things I write down, section them all up and then plan them in my diary. So again, that, that time's booked out. If someone rings me and says, can you do this? My answer is no. If there's something in there, I can't do it. If I can, I will. So yeah, I've got, I've got a system that works for me and that is going to be an example because everyone works differently, but that's going to be an example in some of my coaching programs is that system of how to 
goal set, plan your days and take charge of your time. Yeah, that's that's definitely included at the end of mine as well. That's uh, it's crucial. It's like it's, mm-hmm. all, it's all well and good knowing what we're going after. That's great. But we do need steps to get there. And um, mm-hmm. the, the incremental steps, dailies and the, the weeklies, monthlies and annual goals are just uh, yeah super important. Yeah, brilliant. Great top tip. Um, I love that one. Do you have a book recommendation for everyone right now? Apart from your own one, which we'll get on to in a minute. <laughs> so, the, the, you know, the first book I ever read when I was going through rehab, which set me on a, a I, I guess you call it a professional personal development journey, was, and I'm sure everyone's read this at one point or another, but um, Awaken the Giant Within mm-hmm. from Tony Robbins. Power. I don't even know why I read it. I, I've no clue, but I was reading it and I'm like, as I was reading it, I thought, I really get all this stuff, but it's all common sense. How is this man made a living out of this? Everyone knows this. But I think that's because of my background in the core and being around guys like yourself who live at the higher level and of a certain values. And then I, I just forgot that actually not everyone does know this. Now I'm reading it like this is obvious. This is common sense. How is this guy making a living telling people to do this? Mm. Obviously, he does it on a much higher level than most people. But yeah, I read that and I was like, wow. This, this is cool. And then I picked the next one up and picked the next one up, went on the courses and met people and developed peer networks. And nice. yeah, so that way I wake in the giant with them. Yeah, that's a, that's a behemoth of a book to get started mm-hmm. on, uh, on this particular journey. So yeah, thanks for that. That's, a, that's awesome. And uh, so if other people want to, or our listeners want to find out where to, to find out more about you, where would they go? How would they search you up? So I'm on all the social media platforms. Um, putting a lot more time into my YouTube right now. I'm on a new one uh, called, you know, this one Clubhouse, um, which oh. is like a live podcast with up to 5,000 people involved. It's pretty epic if you yeah. get in the right rooms. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Just started a private community on my Facebook page for my coaching. Uh, website, markhomeroad.com. I'm not going to give anyone my phone number, <laughs> but <laughs> honestly, mate, if you, if you just put my name in Google, all the usual platforms come up. Amazing. And uh, you said you got a couple of books out already. What are they and where, where can they get those? I've got one out. Uh, my first one, Man Down. Yeah, That's been out since 2009. You can get that on Amazon or through my website. And yeah, hopefully when the second one, just, I'm just at the final stages of getting the deal together now. That will be out soon this year. The third one, I don't know. And that, I'm just doing that as I can. But um, all that content will be repurposed into courses and yeah. vlogs and blogs and you know how it works. Nice. But yeah. Beautiful, man. And if anyone wants to hire you for some stunt double stuff, you're still open for that. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> Amazing. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, Mark Omrod, everyone. And uh, thanks for joining us. Take care. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Returning Warrior. Stay tuned for more upcoming episodes. I have many, many more incredible guests lined up and cannot wait to share their hero's journey with you on our next episode of The Returning Warrior Podcast.